0: Today's podcast features an article from Discern magazine. It's been said that the most sensitive part of the human anatomy is the wallet, because money can be a very touchy topic. It's been a major issue as long as currency has been used for economic exchange. There may be big differences between people across historical eras and cultures, but there are three truths that almost universally apply to all people at all time. Number one, we want more money. Number two, we want to spend it as we please. And number three, we resent being taxed. So it should be no surprise that Jesus Christ had things to say about money. Some of his teachings on money were controversial at his time and still are controversial today. So let's explore three of Jesus' most significant teachings about money. Number one, Jesus taught that money shouldn't be our driving motivation in life. You know, in the world of Christianity, there is a message that has become known as the prosperity gospel. You may or may not have heard of that term. It's sometimes called the health and wealth gospel, and it's popular mainly among television evangelists. The basic message is that if you have faith in Jesus and do things pleasing to him, he will then bless you with great personal success and wealth, which, of course, the television preachers usually want a significant portion of. When you analyze it, it's essentially a Christian form of the Eastern idea of karma. You do something good, you get something good in return. But did Jesus make physical blessings a major thrust of his message? Did he lure people to follow him by promising them physical and financial success? Actually, he taught just the opposite. Jesus taught that following him requires sacrifice. For instance, in Matthew 16, verse 24, he said to his disciples, a person had to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Those are Jesus's words cross in that context is a symbol of sacrifice. So we have to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus Christ. Sometimes that sacrifice is losing friends and family, and sometimes that sacrifice may be money. It is different for different people. In Luke chapter 18, we read about a wealthy young man who approached Jesus and asked him a very interesting and, and in fact, important question. In verse 18, he asks Jesus, what does somebody have to do in order to live forever? Well, that's, that's a great question to ask Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. But Jesus' answer wasn't exactly what he was expecting to hear. Jesus essentially answered, well, keep the Ten Commandments, something the young man had known all his life. And then Jesus went on to list some examples of the Ten Commandments to make sure the young man understood exactly what he was talking about. The young man then answered, well, I've been obeying all these laws from my childhood. What, What more can I do? So then Jesus answered this in verse 22. Well, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. That was a problem for the young man. Now, Jesus perceived this young man's motivation in life was his wealth, because Jesus could perceive the thoughts. He could perceive the motivation. This young man couldn't fully give himself over to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. He couldn't fully give his life to God until he first addressed this all-consuming attachment he had in his mind and heart to money and his stuff. That was his fatal flaw. That was his primary driving force, his primary motivation in life, money and stuff. Sadly, at this point in life, that proved to be just too much for the man. We read that in verse 23. He walked away very discouraged. And after he walked away, Jesus made this interesting comment in verse 24. He said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Notice that Jesus said it was hard, he didn't say it was impossible. He didn't say there was no way that anybody with wealth could ever be in the kingdom of God. No, he did not say that because that's not true. Some of God's greatest servants have been very wealthy. In fact, one of the best examples of that is the patriarch Abraham, a man the Bible calls the father of the faithful. The book of Genesis describes him as a very wealthy man. So, just being wealthy does not mean it's impossible to be a faithful, obedient disciple of God and Jesus Christ and be in the kingdom of God. But it does mean it's a little more difficult. It can be a significant obstacle for some people. So, instead of preaching a health and wealth gospel promising prosperity and physical blessings for faithfulness, Jesus actually taught that wealth can be a significant hindrance to someone being willing to fully Dedicate his or her life to God. Again, a hindrance, not an insurmountable barrier. In the parable of the sower, Jesus identified the deceitfulness of riches as one of the major threats to those God calls. You can read about that in Matthew 13, verse 22. He also said in Matthew 6, verse 24, that you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon means wealth. So he did not say you cannot have. Wealth, but he said you cannot serve wealth and God at the same time. Those two things cannot both be the top focus in our lives. We must serve God, and then everything comes under that. The prosperity gospel is a false concept. Christ's message, again, was not that a faithful person automatically generates riches and wealth. His message was that riches and wealth can be a danger to Christians if they allow it to become their primary motivation in life. Our treasure, our goal, our motivation has to be the goal of God's kingdom. In Matthew 6:33, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Those things can come later. Those things can come afterwards. But the kingdom of God and righteousness must be first. The fact is, most faithful servants of God down through history have not been blessed with great physical wealth and prosperity. So, using the promise of physical blessings to lure people to Christianity is very deceptive and contrary to Jesus' teaching. Let's now move on to the second major teaching Jesus had about money. Number two, Jesus taught people to pay their taxes. Now, I know most people don't like paying taxes. Nobody likes paying taxes. People will often do anything they can to pay as little as possible, and in some cases even evade taxes altogether. It seems like we regularly hear of celebrities and and oftentimes even religious leaders being jailed or fined for tax evasion. In recent years, some people, even some claiming to be Christians, have seen taxation as something to resist. But was Jesus an anti-tax zealot who made it his cause to protest big government and taxation? Was that what he was all about? We should remember that, in fact, Jesus lived under a regime, the Roman Empire, that was more repressive and excessive in taxation than the vast majority of governments in the Western world today. It was an issue in his time, and it continues to be an issue today. The Jews under Roman rule hated paying taxes to the Romans. In fact, many people thought it was wrong to pay taxes to the Romans. This was an issue that Jesus dealt with directly. Late in his ministry, he was asked a question by somebody who came up to him, and they asked, Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? You can read that in Matthew 22, verse 17. Now, when they said Caesar, they were talking about the Roman Empire, the empire on which Caesar was at the top. Jesus answered very creatively. He asked them to bring him a piece of currency. Someone presented him with a denarius, And then he asked them, whose image was engraved on that coin? They had to answer, honestly, it was right in front of them, Caesar's. Jesus then replied with his answer. We read that in verse 21. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Or in other words, we could say, give to Rome the things that are Rome's, and to God the things that are God's. Jesus' teaching was clear. His followers are to pay their taxes to whatever government they live under. In that time, it was the Roman Empire. Today, it's whatever nation we live in. This is a basic Christian responsibility that was then later reinforced by the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, verses 6 through 7. While it's not wrong to take steps to legally reduce one's taxes, illegally evading or resisting paying one's taxes, contradicts this very plain teaching of Jesus Christ. So by simply doing what Jesus said, by simply obeying Jesus' words, Christians can save themselves all the negative consequences and stress of tax evasion. So Jesus was neither an anti-government zealot, nor an active participant in the government of his days. He wasn't a cheerleader for the Roman Empire, but he wasn't its greatest critic either. He wasn't protesting it. He simply taught that while living in this world, his followers were to obey the laws of the land and pay their taxes. But spiritually, he taught his followers to represent and model a completely different government, the future kingdom of God. So now let's cover the last point in this podcast. Point number three, Jesus taught his followers to tithe. Did you notice the second part of Jesus's answer to the tax question we covered a couple minutes ago? After saying we are to pay Caesar the things that are Caesar's, Jesus then went on to say we are to pay God the things that are God's. What was he talking about? What what do we owe God? If you read the Bible a lot, you know that God owns everything. He created everything. What could you possibly owe him? What Jesus was referring to would have been very obvious to his audience. The group of Jews before him would have immediately understood that he was talking about the law of tithing and giving offerings. You can find those laws in the Old Testament in Leviticus 27 verse 30 and in Deuteronomy 16 verses 16 through 17. Just to quickly summarize what those two things are, tithing is giving a tenth of one's increase to God. Offerings are voluntary gifts God's people give to God based on their blessings. Tithing was practiced by the Jews of Jesus' day, and the Pharisees were known to be very meticulous and precise in how they tithed. You can read a little bit about that in Luke 18, verse 12. In fact, Jesus pointed this out and used it to teach them a lesson in Matthew 23, verse 23. Let's read that. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus was correcting these people for being very, extremely scrupulous and meticulous when it came to tithing exactly one-tenth of tiny little seeds of little spices yet being totally careless and neglectful of matters of personal character, matters about justice, mercy, faith, character issues. He called these the weightier matters, the more important things. Just so he wouldn't be misunderstood, he clarified himself. These matters of character you ought to have done without leaving the others, paying tithes, undone. His point was, tithe, yes, that's important, but don't overlook the more important issues. Character is more important. That doesn't mean the other things are unimportant, but character is the most important. We could say character is king. So Jesus clearly taught his followers to tithe, and it is through the system of tithing that allows us to provide Discern Magazine and Life, Hope, and Truth free of charge, These two services, the Church of God, a worldwide association, provides as a public service, are funded through the tithes and offerings of people who take seriously Jesus' command to give to God the things that are God, and also, of course, not to leave them undone. In fact, God does promise blessings to those who tithe. You can read about that in Malachi 3, verses 8 through 10, and many who practice tithing can attest to his faithfulness to this promise. Now, those blessings aren't necessarily always money. There are many different ways God can bless us. And, of course, we should never be motivated to tithe in order to try to get a blessing. If you'd like to learn more about tithing, go to lifehopeandtruth.com and search tithing, and you'll find more information on that topic. The Bible has many other things to say about the topic of money and finances. In fact, since the Bible is God's word, by reading and applying its financial principles, you can, in a sense, make God, the creator of the universe, your own personal financial advisor. For Discern Magazine, I'm Eric Jones. Thanks for listening. For more information from today's featured article, visit lifehopentruth.com.